You're listening to the Soul Care Podcast. I'm Elaine Hamilton, the founder of the Soul Care House, a group of therapists working in community with a shared perspective about the path towards healing and change. This podcast is about creating a space for real conversations about real life struggles, a place where you can gather insight and support for issues that are relevant to you and the people you love. So sit back, put your feet up, and let's talk. All right, friends, we are going to talk about porn. Porn, right? Uh, sadly, this is part of our everyday conversation here at Soul Care. Um, That's probably literally true. Every day. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're often in conversations with folks who feel very compulsive around porn or folks who've been very hurt by their partner's use of porn. So we thought it might be useful for us to have a conversation about that dynamic and um, what we think that's about and what are the sort of the healing steps that people can take to move away from that. Um but uh, our, our focus today is going to be, because, because we mostly see uh, men who are struggling with porn, uh, we're going to talk about it from that perspective. Certainly there are women who are using porn, of course. There are women who feel compulsive around porn. All of those things exist. But uh, for our purposes today, we're just going to sort of focus on the dynamic between um, men and the use of porn, since that's sort of the, the most pervasive thing that we see. Um, and then also what it's like to be a partner with someone who's using. Yeah, and I think what's probably helpful to clarify as well, Elaine, is to say, you know, our audience that we're talking to or, or our clientele would view their porn usage as a problem or their mm-hmm. partner will view it as a problem. Mm-hmm. And not everybody views mm-hmm. them looking at porn as an issue. That's fine if that's you, but what we're looking at is how it often is very hurtful. It's, it can be very damaging to the man who's using it on a regular basis. It's very hurtful to the partner in many cases, if not most cases. And so that's who we're talking to is for the person mm-hmm. who's who's maybe trying to stop or lying about it or experiencing uh, the that it's getting worse and more and more frequent. Uh, some people would say pornography and is a behavioral addiction or can become a behavioral addiction, which means it's going to take on uh, the typical um, uh, attributes of addiction, which would be uh, tolerance, meaning I need more and more and more of it to get the same impact as I used to. I, uh, I will have withdrawals if I stop and I have experiences of irritability or, or physical uh, discomfort and uh, trouble with abstinence that I can't stop. And so if that's you or that's your partner, then we would want to start questioning is maybe pornography becoming an addictive thing for you. Mm-hmm. And it's not an addiction for everybody, but it, it can be. And a lot of the people we work with, that's kind of how they describe it. Yeah, they feel compulsive around that. So, yeah, we're talking about it like a behavioral addiction because there we tend to see some compulsivity around it. And it's very difficult for the partners. Like, why can't you just stop? It's painful for me. You hate it. Uh, you feel terrible about it. Why can't you just stop doing it? And so uh, hopefully it'll be helpful to talk about uh, the dynamics that we see and what gets people to that place and then what gets them, what moves them away from that. Yep, exactly. It's kind of uh, our hope would be to validate people's experience and say, uh, and to, to create a sense of maybe answering some of the questions of why and 
why is it important to stop and what are some of the consequences? And... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so let's let's talk first about why men look at porn. How does how does that become a big thing for some folks? Yeah, I think I would probably break it down into I shouldn't say probably. I have broken it down into oh, three. Oh right, you have. Yeah, nice. Three, of course three, you have. You're a one. <laughs> I'm a one. <laughs> Everything is A, B, three, one, two, C, all that. So as my wife reminds me. Um so yes, number one. Uh, men look at porn because they want to escape uh, painful feelings, often feelings that come from trauma or childhood wounds. So those feelings that uh, men are trying to escape by looking at porn might be loneliness, might be grief and sadness, might be shame or feelings of humiliation or not being enough, might be a way of suppressing anger or suppressing fear. So like our fight-flight impulses come online randomly because of trauma, and then the porn takes those away. Um, these wounds can come from feeling rejected, come come from feeling criticized or abandoned or abused, uh, can come from uh, really painful losses that haven't been grieved. But sort of at the uh, at the heart of pornography usage, what we're going to be looking for is how has this man been hurt? Now, it can be hard to have compassion for a man who's addicted to porn and hurting you if you're their partner because it can feel like, well, I don't care if you're hurt, like mm-hmm. you're hurting me. But the truth is it's both, is he's probably very hurt and he's also doing something that might be quite hurtful. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I think uh, what was interesting to learn as I started to work with people who were um, uh, struggling with too much use of porn is that it it felt very similar to my own experience um, in in you know my teens and twenties with bulimia. That the dynamics were very similar. I'm doing something that doesn't feel good for me, that makes me feel terrible about myself but I feel compulsive around it. I feel like I can't stop. I hate that I'm doing it, but I need it because I can't tolerate something else that I don't even understand. It's perfect, yes. And I think a lot of eating disorders and behavioral addictions, gambling and other things have that. Same dynamic. Same dynamic. The behavior is masking the pain. Yeah. So the second reason, kind of in line with the first one, if the first one is to escape painful feelings, the second one is to get unmet developmental needs met. And so Mm -hmm. what we would really say is throughout the life cycle of a human being, through every stage of development, and there's lots of developmental models, but in each developmental stage, as we're becoming, uh, as we're growing, we need certain things. We need comfort. We need to be accepted. We need to have a sense of purpose in life. We need to to learn how to express our anger. We need to learn how to uh, deal with conflict. We need uh, to feel like a man or to feel like a woman. We need to experience our own power. And oftentimes in, in our development, again, because of trauma or a family or, or any number of things, uh, even just the culture, our power gets compromised or we, we don't feel like we can reach for the comfort we need. And so in order to get those unmet developmental needs met, uh, pornography can feel like a good solution to some men. Because mm-hmm. the fantasy that I'm in power over a woman in a pornographic movie might make me feel powerful. Or the love and acceptance of being pursued by a woman that I'm watching in pornography. Um, that might make me feel accepted or give me the same feeling of being affirmed and wanted. Again, these needs are usually pretty unconscious, but a lot of times what I'll do with men I'm working with is say, well, let's process what your fantasies are and mm. what kind of porn you're watching, because that's probably pointing towards what need you're trying to meet. Yeah. Yeah. And the other part of that, sorry, one more part there. Mm-hmm. Porn and sex addiction 
pornography addiction and sex addiction are the only two addictions that I would say have a relational component, meaning what I'm addicted to is actually watching or thinking about a relational act of sex. Mm-hmm. And so it, essentially these are relational needs we're trying to get met through something that almost is the real thing, but it's not quite the real thing because it's right. on a video or it's in an image versus just drowning myself in alcohol. When I'm watching a video of two people have sex, I'm watching a relational connection. And that is that is an extremely potent and powerful uh, experience for most men. I've heard men who uh, like are recovering alcoholics and recovering from sex addiction or porn addiction say, alcohol is my drug of choice. Porn and sex is my drug of no choice. Like the feeling mm. of powerlessness Interesting. Is, yeah. is much more Stronger. intense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So one of the things that we've been learning more about is how porn affects brain chemistry. It's been really interesting, the studies that have been done in the last number of years about what happens um, to the brain when um, these chemical changes happen while we're looking at porn. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you've learned about that and how you share that with guys who are struggling? Yeah, there's a great book called Wired for Intimacy by William Struthers, and he has a whole chapter in there on porn in the brain. So we'll just do, this is by no means am I a doctor or a PhD in this or anything like that. But Still super smart. Thank you, Elaine, mm-hmm. as always. Mm-hmm. Good Enneagram too. <laughs> and... <laughs> Help myself. <laughs> yeah, I can't. But it's, I really feel that it's way. Also, the affirmation is what it is. It's good for my developmental okay. needs. So, so <laughs> okay. So, number one, testosterone. Really, what we're going to be talking about is is that there are there are five five chemicals we're going to talk about that get re- released in the brain when men look at porn, and each of those chemicals has a role. And really, the overall point is we don't really want to be messing with these chemicals because they serve a function in the right context, but in the wrong context, they can cause some problems. Mm -hmm. So number one is testosterone. Testosterone is responsible for arousal and sexual desire. So what porn can do as you continue to watch it, you're getting more and more testosterone released into the brain and it can condition the brain to become hyper aware and obsessed with any sexual signal that might be being given off. And so men talk about the constant sort of pursuit of eye contact in public or always checking Mm. out a woman to see if she's uh, aroused or wants him. And women will talk about like, I I don't want him at all, but he seems to think that like I'm giving off some vibe. And -hmm. that's what's happening there is that testosterone experience is conditioning the man's thoughts and feelings towards uh, continual arousal and pursuit of arousal. Yeah, and perhaps creating a reality that doesn't actually exist. 100%. Yeah. It's a fantasy reality. Yeah. And so the brain is actually coding reality wrong and mm-hmm. not seeing a woman for what she is, mm-hmm. which is, again, that's why we don't want to mess with this stuff. Right, right. Number two, dopamine. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter responsible for pleasure. A lot of people know that. Uh, it helps us to know where to focus our energy and attention because if something is pleasurable, that means the brain is going to say, I want more of that. Well, when you watch porn, quite a bit of dopamine gets released, which means the brain's going to say, I want more of that. Mm-hmm. That feels good. Uh, and the more dopamine that gets released, the more the brain's going to say, that's where our energy and attention needs to go. So again, we want to be careful with things that release dopamine because if it's too much or too intense, we're really conditioning the brain to go there. Mm-hmm. Number three, this one's interesting, I think, norepinephrine. This is both a hormone and a neurotransmitter. 
Uh, norepinephrine is partly responsible for the nervous system's fight-flight responses. And so when we go into a fight-or-flight state of arousal, that's norepinephrine at work. Like in PTSD, it is norepinephrine that's going to burn the traumatic image or memory in our brain so that we will remember it and avoid it in the future. So mm. like if we were abused by like a really aggressive male or something, that image is going to burn our brain so that we will avoid aggressive men in the future. Okay. Well, porn is super intense and arousing. And so when we watch really intense and arousing pornography, norepinephrine burns those images into our brains. And a lot of men who struggle with porn will recall vivid pornographic pornographic images from 20 years ago. Wow. And they just don't leave their brains. It mm -hmm. just sticks in there because of the intensity. And it's mm -hmm. like the brain is saying, like, let's not forget that. Yeah. Maybe even because let's not forget it. It was so arousing and sexually stimulating. But the point is, is it's, it's, it's it really had a big impact. A yeah. big impact. Mm -hmm. And that it sears on the brain. And it, that can happen at 12 years old, 10 years old. And uh, again, we just don't want to be messing mm -hmm. with that. It's, mm -hmm. it's really hard to undo. Next one is oxytocin. Oxytocin is called the cuddle hormone. It creates a sense of trust when it's released. Uh, oxytocin is a big part of uh, bonding, like in, in an orgasm with your partner. That's going to Oxytocin will create a sense of connection and closeness, but it also will create that same feeling with a pornographic image or video. Mm. We don't really want to be messing with right. safety and connection and closeness with an actress or actor mm -hmm. in a movie. We want right. that reserved for our right. spouse. And the last one would be vasopressin. This is also responsible for bonding, but it also has the impact of creating a sense of protection of a mate. And so uh, potentially when vasopressin is released, it can cause aggression towards other males as well. And I, I can't say this for sure, but there are men who get, I don't, I'm not sure this is vasopressin at work, okay. but I wonder when a man becomes very protective of an actress mm. or like, you know, like, how dare you talk about right, whoever, right. Mm -hmm. it's like, are you... Uh -huh. is, is that your like are you use are you watching images or or sexually fantasizing about that person because your brain chemistry is starting to get protective mm -hmm. of her and you don't even know her yeah yeah and it's sort of a weird you know, uh, weird you're kind of weirdly bonded to this person who you've never met great way of saying it yeah yeah what's that about mm -hmm. right yeah <laughs> what's that yeah. about exactly yeah and what it's about is our mm. brains are tricky things that can, um, they can do that. They can do that. Mm -hmm. So we also know the nervous system is really impacted by the use of porn. Um, how do you talk about that with men? Yeah, I'm doing a lot of talking. You're but... doing great. Okay, thanks. You're doing great. Um, I have some thoughts that I want to share later. Oh, good. <laughs> okay. It's very reassuring. <laughs> uh, so, yes, the nervous system. I think there are uh, three things about the nervous system that are important with pornography. Number one is that porn is what we would call, uh, and one of our therapists, Matt Bishop, talks a lot about this, that porn is what we'd call a supernormal stimulus. What that means is that in nature, there are normal stimuli, like uh, for a bird, a normal stimuli would be like its egg. So it sees an egg in its nest and it wants to, it, that draws its attention. But if you take an egg for a bird and paint, for certain species I've heard, and paint it gold, the that bird will pay attention to the gold egg and neglect mm -hmm. the other eggs. That gold egg becomes a supernormal stimulus. It draws all of its attention there, leaving it to neglect other normal stimuli. 
porn is a super normal stimulus. It, it creates this huge dopamine rush and this huge pleasure rush, which makes sex with the partner, the normal stimuli, no longer attractive. Yeah. And the super normal stimuli, the videos and images, starts to attract the brain, causing us to want to neglect uh, what is natural in nature, mm-hmm. which is just partner bonding and right. sexual experience. So we keep trying to recreate something that was super special, right? Right. Super mm-hmm. intense and super all that. Super intense, yeah. And it makes the normal thing no longer that exciting. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. Right. The good news is if you stop looking at porn, that process can be undone. Right, which is huge good news, right, for right. partners when they when partners can feel I feel like you're there's something you're not even into me. This is not even about me anymore. So it's it's super good news to know that the, the brain and the chemistry can return to normal when you give yourself a break from these stimuli. Right. And I've heard Patrick Karn say, he's the expert in the field, you know, you might need to give that process three to five years. Mm-hmm. It's a long time, mm-hmm. but the brain can repair itself. Yeah. Uh, the second thing about pornography and the nervous system is that the, the act of looking at porn is usually pretty dissociative, like we're, we're checked out when we're doing it, clicking through image after image after image. And so it's like, it's like freeze on the nervous system and it can sort of train the system to be checked out a lot. And women talk about that with yes, their husbands. Yes, like, all the time. You're mm-hmm. not here. You're yeah. not present. And uh, pornography usage can reinforce that lack of presence. And then uh, Patrick Carnes also says that porn is self-traumatizing to the nervous system. Like, oftentimes men mm-hmm. feel really out of control with their pornography usage, and that creates a feeling of panic. And that panic can be a traumatizing experience because I can't stop and I have to stop, but I'm looking at it at work and mm-hmm. I'm going to get caught one of these days and I've already been fired once. And then they do it again. Right. And that reinforces this traumatic experience of feeling out of control. And so it yeah. becomes its own trauma eventually, right, which right. is pretty awful yeah i bet eating disorders are similar to that i would say so right it just feels like i am i am destroying myself by my own hand right like i just can't stop doing this to myself and i'm i'm overwhelmed with how powerless i am but i'm completely in charge Mm -hmm. right like it's i feel like i'm not but i am it's sort of crazy making it's super crazy making yeah and the feeling that i'm I need to stop. I'm supposed to stop. I should stop. People are telling me to stop, mm-hmm. and I can't stop. Yeah, it's a very uncomfortable, yeah, overwhelming experience. And I, I think if you've had any experience with something that became addictive or compulsive in your life, it's super helpful if you have a partner who's using porn to draw that parallel for yourself. Of like, I do, I do know what that feels like to do things that I'm ashamed of, to do things that are self-destructive. Um, to feel like I can't stop. It's it's super useful to put porn in that same category and and say even even though it hurts me personally, I also get that dynamic because I've lived with some of that myself, yep. and I know that it's not easy to walk away from something that has you has a hold on you like that. Right, exactly right. And I I would say in my experience as a <laughs> therapist, this is a little stereotypical. It's not meant to be, but experientially women talk about their relationship with food yes. being the closest parallel yes. to men's experience with pornography. Yeah, very and often. Plenty of men struggle with food and plenty of women struggle with pornography, but mm-hmm. that's the common parallel. Yeah, for sure. So the third thing in terms of a consequence, if the first consequence is uh, to, the, to, to the man himself, the first consequence is that it impacts his brain so much. The second consequence is that it trains the nervous system to be attracted to super stimulating things and to be sort of freezy and dissociated and disconnected, and it can be self-traumatizing. The last consequence we'd want to name 
is uh, it, it has the tendency to keep men developmentally stuck at whatever mm-hmm. age they kind of became addicted. And a lot of times in recovery meetings, it can feel like there's a bunch of 50-year-old men there who are 12 years old, yeah. um, especially when they first come in. And then as right. they get sober, you start to see this sort of developmental process finally continue. They sort mm-hmm. of get through adolescence and sort of mm-hmm. then they start to look like an early 20-year-old. And right. you know, it's like they need to catch up because at the age that they were supposed to be negotiating that developmental stage, maybe that's learning who they are or learning to get their power online or figuring out what they're good at. They were obliterating all their thoughts and feelings with pornography. Mm-hmm. And so their their brain, their development kind of got interrupted. And then it needs to continue from that point on. And some men can actually feel quite a bit younger than that. Even feeling, you know, you might have a 30-year-old who feels two or three years old. Yeah, They just have a, a neediness and a, a developmental mm-hmm. stuntedness to them. And I think that's also really confusing for partners, too. It's like I'm married to this person who's... A doctor or a lawyer right. who ha- runs a successful business, and yet emotionally he feels like a child, right? There's a fragileness to him. There's a, a lack of self-awareness. You're just like, what is going on? This person is so successful and so grown up right. in a lot of ways, and yet emotionally and in terms of our, our access to him emotionally, it just feels like uh, you're so little. You're yeah. so little. And that's true. They are. Mm. Um, it's not helpful to say to a man, "Oh, I guess we're four years old now." <laughs> you know, in response Even to their you so badly yeah, want to because it drives you crazy. You know, sure, as the partner, sure. it's like, can we please not be eight years old anymore? Yes. You know, or they all the jokes are like seventh grade jokes and potty humor, and you're right. like, "You're what right. is going on? You have a PhD. <laughs> like, can we stop the diarrhea Dude. jokes for yeah. ten seconds?" Yeah, but there's this lack of. <laughs> Lack of development, that's, uh, mm-hmm. that hasn't happened. Yeah. Yeah, so emotionally stunted, interpersonally stunted. Yes. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit, what interpersonal, yeah. I think that's, that could be helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think um, one of the ways, one of the things that I say to um, women who have partners who are using is um, what we always find underneath the use of porn is a really wounded little boy. Right, that some terrible things happened. He was exposed real early to sexual stimuli that captivated him at the time. And there wasn't enough of what he needed. There wasn't enough attention. There wasn't enough bonding. Uh, There weren't people watching over him. Um, he He wasn't learning or being taught how to express, right? Like, I think this is so difficult for men, so much more difficult. Like, if you have feelings when you're a boy, somebody is going to shut you down. Somebody's Mm going to tell you, we don't have time for that. You're being a crybaby. No one cares. Suck it up. Tough it out. Stop being a girl. Yeah, stop being a girl, right? There are all these messages that girls don't get about dealing with your own emotions. And so boys are... I've even heard that baby boys are less likely to get picked up as often. <gasps> really? Like baby girls, oh, something gosh. about their, the energy or the culture or something. Yeah. We pick up baby girls more than baby boys. Wow. And I'll say Yeah, so there are just a lot of subtle, direct, indirect ways that boys are constantly being like shoved into a corner, like less and less options. Whatever's going on with you, less and less options for how you can deal with those. And so it makes sense that it's like this perfect storm. They've got more testosterone than we do. They're more ready, more um, wired for sex. And so it makes total sense. This is a perfect storm. They're going They're going to get shoved into corner and there's not much left for them. And porn or 
sexually acting out or whatever becomes a means to take care of themselves. And so I think when you have a partner who's struggling and you're trying to stay with them, it's really important to look at those factors um, to try to develop some compassion and tenderness for the situation that they're in. Um, the other thing that... that, well, that that's super helpful. Can we dive okay, in yeah. that? I think we should open that up a little bit because you're making me think about a lot of stuff. Okay. I think about like your average... 14, 15-year-old boy. Because what you're saying makes so much sense. We are mammals. Our core coping strategies are relational in yeah. nature. If we're going to cope well, it's going to be through relationship. But for your average 14 or 15-year-old boy, it's like, well, if something traumatic or painful happens and he really needs to cry and be held and comforted, yes. mom might feel like, well, that's not really my job anymore because right. he's 15. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to dad and dad might be shut down or a little distance or doesn't know how to model that. No capacity No capacity. There might be some coaches, but that doesn't necessarily mean they have the emotional intelligence. So maybe there's a friend or a girlfriend, but maybe not. And so you start looking at like, well, where 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 are the other... Who's the tribe? Who's the the consoling person? Yeah. And that's where you have this sort of um, disconnected soul right. that needs to plug in somewhere yeah. to find those needs met. Yeah, and I think those are the stories we hear a lot is when you, you know, just dig down into where did this all start, you hear stories like that of like, I just was not allowed to feel anything. These terrible things happened that were really painful and terrifying. My parents' divorce or the loss of a dear friend or like whatever it was, being shamed or bullied or whatever. And there was no one to talk to about anything. Exactly. No one wanted to let to, no one wanted to hear and so i had right. to figure out how to take care of myself right and um especially for kids born in the uh, late 80s 90s i mean mm. internet pornography is the mm-hmm. crack cocaine of sex Everywhere. addiction it's yeah. so you know some people have likened it to like walking around if you were walking around with a vial of cocaine all the time Hmm. Would you want to use it? Right. Well, that's what a cell phone is. Yeah. It's always available. You'll get. You can get this massive dopamine hit anytime you want within thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. Just log onto the internet. Mm-hmm. And so, um, part of the the rise. You know, there's even one study that wanted to um, compare porn usage on college students' brains, and so they needed a group of students who looked at porn and they needed a control group who didn't look at porn and they couldn't find a control wow. group. There wasn't a group who didn't look at it. And it was just like, well, I can't do the study then. Wow. And it's just, uh, it's so yeah, rampant. Yeah, so pervasive. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. And then it's so hard on relationships. And I think one of the tragedies besides what he's going through with his own struggles what she's going through is also terrible, right? Yes. And she's very often feeling like somehow this is my fault. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with my body. There's, you know, it's it. This is somehow about me. This is my this is my problem. And, and it also could be in a in a gay or same sex marriage. Mm-hmm. It could be the I've seen plenty of gay men in recovery where it's the same thing. The addiction yeah. and the it's it's equally wounding. Yeah. Even if it's a if a man is the spouse of the male sex addict it's right it's a it's painful it's a, I, people i would say almost universally although not universally but almost almost people will say this is actually really painful for me i'm getting these messages from the culture that say this is normal this is natural um i should maybe enjoy it as well and yet when you really talk about what does it feel like to you um almost always people will say i feel rejected i feel cheated on I feel like my partner doesn't really want me. Mm. Sex feels very um, separating instead of bonding. Right. I heard a crazy story one time from a guy who said his wife, as they were having sex, 
his wife said, uh, you know what, stop. Mm. You're not present. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just go grab one of your porn magazines, put it on my face, and just have sex with me that way, because that's what you're doing. I can yeah. tell you're not here. Yeah. And that is a huge impact on the partner. Yeah. that dissociative lack of presence, mm-hmm. even when we're having sex. Mm-hmm. I don't have you. You're not right. here. Yeah, and so sex with a partner who's using can feel very violating. And I think that's super confusing, especially when people are married to someone they love and who feels like, you know, I, th- I think my partner loves me, but there's something that goes on when sex is happening that feels creepy and not right, right? Totally. And they're also trying to talk themselves out of feeling bad about that. So it's super, super conflicting for people. Um, I think that's the right word, conflicting. Because on the one hand, he's an amazing, great guy. Right. On the other hand, I just know I don't have all of him. Mm -hmm. And something's off. Something's off, yeah. Yeah. So I I try to really reassure um, partners um, of a few things. One is, this is not about you. This started a long time before you, oftentimes 8, 10, 12, right? Very young. Right, it was here before you. It was here before you. Um, and there's nothing you could have done or been to solve this for him. So we really want to try to put that at rest. This is not about you. It's also not about your body. It's not about the size of your parts. It's not about nice. whether you're sexy. It's not about what you're wearing or not wearing. It's not about any of the, It's not about whether you're interesting. Um, it's not about whether you're smart. It's And it's even oftentimes not about whether he loves you or not. Often it's it's really about him and a problem that he's trying to solve through this activity. Well, I think what you're touching on too that's so helpful is that trauma creates splitting. So a partner who's addicted to pornography could be a very traumatic experience. And then the partner uh, of the addict or of the person who's struggling with porn will, as they go through their traumatic experience of feeling betrayed, will, they will experience splits in their thinking, meaning black and white thinking. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, he does this because he doesn't love me. Mm-hmm. That's black or white. Right? Yeah. If he looks at porn, he doesn't love me. Right. And what you're saying is, no, he does love you, mm-hmm. and he looks at porn. Or he does this because he's not attracted to me. Right. No, he does this, and he's attracted to you. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, all those, all that splitting into black and white categories is a defense mechanism, and that's, it's just evidence that the partner's been traumatized. Right. It, it just shows you how painful it's been. Right. And of course it happens. I mean... Splitting is a natural response to trauma. It's just what needs to happen is all that stuff needs to get repaired so mm-hmm. that you can actually hold the tension of he does love me and he struggles. Yeah. He is attracted to me and he watches porn. Right, right. It's very hard. Yeah, it's a tough gig, right? Super tough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, gosh. What else do you tell women? What else do I tell women? Uh, yeah, I think... I think I try to frame um, that this is happening in the context of, you know, it's just what you're saying, that this is trauma. This is how your partner is managing trauma in their in their own life, in their history. Um, someone said to me once, porn isn't my real problem. It's my very bad solution to my real problem, which I thought was just genius. That's it's genius. the perfect explanation for what's happening. It's like my real problem is the trauma of my of my childhood and I don't have a way to process that and I'm not allowed to express my feelings um, and so what else could I do I needed something to take the edge off of all the terrible feelings and someone to someone to bond to 
And so that's that's how that develops. So it's a lot of unraveling, right, for both partners, a lot of unraveling that has to be done. But it, I think it can be helpful if you're in a relationship with someone who's struggling to frame it in this context of like, this is a trauma response, right? right. It doesn't make it great. It doesn't make it acceptable. Um, but to frame it like this is my partner's response to trauma and we got to figure that out. Mm. Um, we got to figure out both the trauma and how we're going to get rid of this as a coping strategy. We got to develop some coping strategies that are healthy and adaptive that will actually work inside of a relationship. And always include other people. Yeah, That's the key. A lot of men, they want the solution to be like, I will try harder. Or I will pray, yes. or I will. And it's like if your if your strategy to stop looking at porn doesn't include a group of other men, it is mm. probably destined to fail. Mm. Yeah, because the problem is about a lack of bonding and connection, right? Would you is that exactly. how you would say it? Yeah, bingo, exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's at some point I didn't have the bonding and connection I needed to cope, so I turned towards the closest thing I could. Mm-hmm. which was a relational connection with a video or an image. And so if I'm going to undo all that, I have to start getting the bonding and connection that I need. That's what the 12-step programs are great at. Yeah. Sponsorship relationships can be heroic in terms of availability at all hours of the night and weekly mm-hmm. coffees and support and crying together and walking through terrible grieving. I mean, it's it can be at its best. The 12-step programs are extremely supportive. Yeah. Group counseling is the same way. There's all sorts of church groups out there that deal with this, but the whole point is to is so that men stop doing it alone. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the power of AA in 1935 when Bill W. and Dr. Bob Smith realized, I think we can stop if we rely on each other. Yeah, neither one of us is Beautiful. experts. It is, right. but we will. Uh, it's one drunk working with another. That was the whole idea. Right, and there's power in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the solution for all of us in a lot of issues, right? It's like the wounding happened in relationship, and what we need is healthy relationship, healthy attachment to help heal. Um, Another thing that can sometimes be helpful is to talk about the reality of porn. Like, who's making porn, and Mm. what's the whole industry about, right? So that can be, it can be helpful to talk about that, Um, yeah, I remember I was I was doing a, some research in a for a graduate paper, and this one book the author was talking about as a college student. He was invited to observe porn mm. on a porn set, and he was a twenty one year old guy and saying like I was really excited. This is going to be amazing. Right. Fine, they get to see. He had been watching lots of porn and was like, "This is going to be great. I get to see it live and in person, like courtside seats to the Laker game right. or something." <laughs> and so uh, he goes to the set and he said it was. A traumatizing experience. He said that he watched a scene, and then the woman in the pornography scene that was being filmed, uh, when it got done, she went over to a bed, curled up into the fetal position. She might have thrown up. And then the producer came over and rocked her like she was three years old. Mm-hmm. And he said he watched that, and it was it just took all the glamour out of it. I was right. like, this was a wounded, uh, traumatized woman. And it granted... No, not every porn set looks like that. We're not blanking it over and saying it's all black and white, and that's always what happens. But there's a lot of that. Yeah. And there's a lot of sexual slavery that turns into pornography. Yes. And so the realities, there's some, there are some painful truths. It's not always true, but there are often a lot of traumatizing and awful things that go into making mm-hmm. porn in general. Yeah, I think I think what we're learning um, as people are sort of getting inside the bowels of like what's happening in the porn industry a little bit more as people get involved in 
um, rescuing folks from um, sex slavery and all of that is is we're learning that a lot of those young people are forced to make porn, and so that that I don't I don't know how much of the time, but certainly it seems like a good portion of the time you're watching porn, you're watching somebody who's enslaved. Right. Um, and and if it's not that, certainly certainly it's a woman who's been violated over and over, right? Like no little girl grows up thinking, gosh, I'd love to be a porn star someday, right? right? Like it, it requires a lot of violation, a lot of uh, lack of self-worth and a lot of uh, sort of self-destructive behavior to get to a place where this feels like the thing you want to do with your life right? or that you have to do with your life. And so I think it can be useful sometimes just like, let's take a minute and Think about who's involved in this industry and that I'm actually funding that. I'm actually participating in um, the growth of that. And can I live with that, right? Right. And Which I, is a separate issue from the compulsive piece. But Right. But ideally it's motivating and it's a reality check to say, I don't want to be in the delusion yeah. that this is just... Because one of the biggest lies for all addicts is I'm not hurting anybody. Right. And so we just want right. to get out of that sort of delusion and say, I'm hurting myself, I'm hurting my partner, and I'm potentially participating in something that has is sort of systemically destructive yeah. for all involved. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think there's wisdom to that to say the more we can embrace those realities, hopefully that spurs me on not to try harder, right. not to press right. in and make myself stop, but to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think another thing that I hear partners talk about is that um, sort of you know similar to what you're saying about like yeah, just put the magazine over over my face. It's like uh, it feels like there's some energy in the room when we're having sex that really is not about us. It's about he's working something out in his head and he really wants me to participate in something that feels very separate yep. from us. It feels very much like. This is his gig, and he has something he's trying to play out, and I'm either in the way of of getting to that result, or I'm participating in that. And both of those things feel terrible for me. It right. feels it feels like a lose lose, right? Like if I participate in what you want, I'm going to feel violated. If I don't participate, I'm going to get rejected. Right. I don't have any good options here. Well, and what a lot of men want to do, you know, we talked about that super normal stimulus idea. They want to make the spouse into that. Mm-hmm. So if I can get you to do what mm-hmm. happens in porn, then I'll get the crazy intense orgasm with my spouse or my partner. Right. But the partner's like, uh, I want to connect with you. I want to have yeah. intimacy, but I'm not trying to give you this crazy orgasm. That's not my right. ultimate goal. And it feels like that's your ultimate goal. Right. That you care more about the intensity of the sexual experience rather than the bonding and the emotional connection Mm -hmm. and that's what porn can train us to do because when you're looking at porn you're not thinking uh gosh i really want like this nice emotional connecting bonding experience i want to feel loved to be loved all you're focusing on is the physical element of the sexual experience Mm -hmm. i think partners feel that yeah yeah and i think uh, it's a it's a double whammy for women who are in in particular women most of the time are really needing that emotional closeness and safety in order to experience arousal and to have a positive experience in sex. And when it feels like your partner is not with you, your body doesn't really participate, right? Mm. Like your body's not doing the things that you need it to do in order for this to be a positive experience for you. And so it's just, you know, we're sort of wandering around in circles around this problem because you're wanting this and I can't even 
I can't get my body there. I can't get my head there. Right. It's just like... I might even... My body might even be going... I mean, if a man is making the sexual experience sort of pornographic, the response a woman's body might do is to go into fight or flight. Yeah. Like, you are yeah. you want to use me. I mm-hmm. don't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. But then you're trying to override that. Well, he's my husband and yes, I should be there for him. right, right. It's messy. And oftentimes men can't acknowledge that they're using their spouse, right? Right. Um, because they'll say, I, I love her. I'm like, I get that you love her. But when you guys are having sex, what she's describing is you acting and using her body. You're using her body for something. Right. And we can't get around that. We can't get around. If it feels violating to her, it is violating to her. Well, and that what's what's what I think men can have a hard time acknowledging is that they are reducing their spouse or partner uh, they're they're removing the complexity of the person, like mm-hmm. that you are a heart and a mind and a body, and mm-hmm. we have this shared life together, and that sex represents sort of the coming together of all of that and all this intimacy and bonding and joining, and that when there's a lot of porn involved, sex can become reductionistic, meaning I'm actually just focused on your breasts, or yeah. all I want to be able to do is look at your ass in the mirror, mm-hmm. or I just want... You know, and it get more graphic than that, but the idea mm-hmm. of like, I'm, or I just want that intense orgasm. Um, but it's I've reduced sex down, and partners can feel that when you when 100%. they're when they are being reduced into a body part or an experience, or um, I just want to stare at this part of you, or I just I actually want to be in fantasy about someone else while I'm with mm-hmm. your body. Mm-hmm. It's there's no an bueno. energy. It's no yeah. bueno. <laughs> no yeah. Bueno. yeah. So super complicated stuff, right, Charlie? And people are in a lot of pain about this. What are some directions we can say? Like, here are some steps to take. You talked about 12-step programs mm-hmm. and the value of that and, of course, therapy. Um, what does the way out look like for people? Yeah, I think the first way out is honesty. So um, you have to tell someone. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it doesn't have to be a therapist, but it could be a therapist. It doesn't have to be a friend, but it could be a friend. But somebody has to know. And uh, what I would recommend for men is the goal is not to go to your wife or your or husband uh, and just dump all this on them. That's not the best course of action. They need to know eventually, but I don't know if that would be my first go-to because mm-hmm. that can be awfully overwhelming and traumatizing for the spouse if it's not done in the right context. Yeah. There has to be disclosure. Sometimes that goes well if you just vomit it all, but sometimes women never forget what they heard and mm-hmm. it's too much. So that's better reserved for a therapist office or something like that. So get honest with somebody, talk it out, come up with a plan, then talk to your spouse and let them in on your struggle. And then, yeah, I mean, I think uh, finding a therapist who knows how to deal with porn mm-hmm. and sex addiction, mm-hmm. checking out a church-based group or a 12-step group is a great idea or other kind of support group. There's also smart recovery groups, which are another form of recovery. Um, there's lots of group therapies. If you're in San Diego, there's you can email us and we can give you referrals to different groups. We mm-hmm. even have one at the Soul Care House. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be the order. I mean, what's yeah. what I always say is the nuclear bomb for porn addiction or sex addiction is individual therapy, group therapy, and a 12-step program. Yeah. If you want to like... Hit it real hard. Hit it hard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not everybody needs all that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, some relapse prevention plan is needed. But a relapse prevention plan can be everything from a porn filter and coffee once a week with a friend to talk about how you're doing to group therapy, therapy, 12-step program, yeah. daily 12-step meetings. There's so many resources 
resources out there to stop if you really want to. Yeah. And I want to go back a little bit to the, you know, the uh, disclosure to your partner. Um, I know that sometimes uh, there's there's um, disagreement about how much to tell your spouse, even within our field, right? About like, how much does she need to know about all of that? And and I, I would suggest letting your partner be in charge of how much they need and want to know. Perfect. Right? Um, with, with sort of like the warning, like um, make sure that this information, that this the answer to this question is going to be helpful to you in terms of like, this is going to help me understand the width and the breadth of this problem. Um, but uh, I'm not going to add to the trauma for myself by like, um, now I'm going to have nightmares about this piece, right? So s- real specifics are often less helpful than just like, give me a sense of like, what does this problem look like in your life? How often is this happening? And what yep. kind of porn are you looking at? And when did this start? And all of not, those kind of things. Right. Looking at, sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, that's okay. Looking through search histories, probably a bad idea. Mm-hmm. You can't unsee what you've seen. Right. And so right. going through your partner and search history on their internet browser, that's traumatizing a lot mm-hmm. of times. Mm-hmm. And yeah, versus a general disclosure of um, behaviors and timelines. And yeah. that's usually enough. But And it's okay if you need more information, you need more information. But just you can't unhear yeah. what you've heard. You can't right. unsee what you've seen. So. Right. So trying to navigate what recovery looks like between the two of you. And oftentimes... People say, you know, like, I, I need to have access to your phone to check once in a while. Just, I, I can't sleep unless I've been able to check and verify for myself that, like, because my brain's going crazy, right? Like, I'm obsessing about your obsession, right? right. And I need, I need some facts. I need some evidence that can ground me. And so negotiating those things that um, can sometimes feel really invasive, um, I think that's tricky. And oftentimes we need help negotiating those things but but understanding that the for the your partner the rug rugs potentially been pulled out from under them and they don't know what's true often the partner's been lying a ton and now i just don't know what's real and i need some help figuring out what's real we talked some about this about this whole piece in our first couple of podcasts though mm. the ones on infidelity mm-hmm. so there might be some information there that would also be helpful to people um, and what else, what else would you say is helpful f- for partners to recover? Because a lot of times we think yeah. about, like, well, here's what he needs to stop and get better. Yeah. But she or the partner has been traumatized as well. Right, what right. What resources would you point a woman to or a, 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 a husband? Yeah, I mean, I think I think she, she needs similar stuff, right? She needs some people to talk to. Um, she needs validation. I think that's a big thing, right? There's oftentimes a lot of rage around all of this, especially if it's a new disclosure. Like, I did not know that this was going on, and now I'm out of my mind about it. That happens a lot, right? We see that here a lot. Um, so she often needs validation. Like, this is a normal way to feel about this. This is what happens for people. It feels like a betrayal. It feels terrible. It makes sense that you would feel this way. And, and also, I think... Um, it's a it's important to hold some space for hope, right? That your partner's struggling with something they probably feel terrible about. And what if your partner could work their way through this? What would that be like to be with that version of your partner? And oftentimes I'll say, 
like you, you don't want him to put in all this work. You leave him, he puts in all this work, and then he's the best version of himself, and you had to pay for the worst totally. version yeah. without getting the benefit of the best version. So um, if there's any invitation inside of you to stay and to see what can come of this, um, this actually could be the beginning of some really beautiful transition for both of you. Right. And as we said on the Infidelity Podcast, we see that a lot. Mm-hmm. Couples do. do get through it. Yeah, they do. And they, they do. get to very beautiful places of mm-hmm. oneness and connection. Mm-hmm. Might take a year or two or three, mm-hmm. but they get there. Yeah, yeah. So that's why even though this stuff is hard and complicated, there is a lot of... Um, hopefulness or energy for us in working with it because we've seen what can happen and um it's it's exciting to be a part of that for people being able to walk them from here to there right it's great so all right is that all we got on that i think that's about it if they have questions or comments Mm -hmm. yes feel free to leave those we have a little uh button on our um podcast page at um, soulcarehouse.com where you can leave a voicemail for us um, with any questions you have about this topic um, any things that you'd like us to talk about uh, you can just go ahead and click on that and leave a voicemail and I think we actually want to try to you know insert some of those questions onto the podcast at some point that would be super fun so let us know if you don't want your voice on a podcast let us know but if you think that'd be fun um we don't actually know how to do that yet, but we're going <laughs> to... We'll, we'll, figure we'll it out. Google it. <laughs> yeah, Google it. Carly will Google it. She Carly will it Google out. it. Yeah. She's a genius. All right, guys. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Soul Care House podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Any questions or comments you have, if there are topics you'd like us to address, let us know. Feel free to contact me at elaine at soulcarehouse.com. If you're interested in knowing more about what we do here at Soul Care, our website is soulcarehouse.com, and you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle there is Soul Care House and Barn. Talk to you soon.